Welcome one and all to the original Drop Breakdown podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, as always, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And and Justin, after a week off with a wonderful guest host, um, we are back and uh, getting ready, kind of diving into the last five weeks of of pre-NFL draft prep, heading into the 2021 NFL draft. How are you doing, Justin? Welcome back, my friend. Uh, is different kind of carrying the, the intros and things like that last week. I wasn't really used to it, but I had fun doing it. And uh, thanks to Ryan Lopes for coming on and helping me host the show. And also thanks to our patrons again. As always, your support helps us to do the hosting for the podcast. And we really enjoy it. We'll have, uh, as always, we'll have a bonus episode out for the patrons later in the week, probably on Thursday. And then we will also have... Uh, an article or two later in the week to kind of go along with that podcast that we're planning. So um, it's going to be fun. We're well into the pro day circuit, which basically functions as our combine. And um, we had some really interesting news about one of the top receiver prospects that came down the wire earlier today that we should talk about. Yeah, we're going to discuss that, discuss a potentially, uh, bad injury prognosis or concern that came out today today's monday march 22nd um you know discuss uh, an injury concern and then look at some of the stock up and stock downs from um some of the pro days that we've seen and then we're going to talk a little bit about prospect and and the fits on the teams that right now they're heavily projected to go to and and look at who fits better, uh, where guys fit better, and, and what you know we make of those chances of uh, those fits leading to successful NFL careers as opposed to potential uh, bust. But to get started with some of the pro, pro day talk, Devontae Smith, um, the Heisman winner, wide receiver, one, two, three, depending on where you look, um, says he's weighing in at 170 pounds, but he will not be weighing in or testing at the Alabama Pro Day. I like Does, that he just came out and said, like, yeah, I'm, I'm 170 pounds. Yeah. Like, so he, he knew that wouldn't, wouldn't be great. And so... I mean, there's two layers to this, obviously. First layer is we've been, I mean, we've talked about it since we came back. The question on Devontae Smith, is, there's literally no question to his physical abilities on the field. There's no question to his game on the field. Um, he's one of the cleaner wide receiver prospects that we've watched in a long time. The question becomes... Drafting a guy that says he weighs 170 pounds, so he's probably closer to 165, that's not something that you see very often in, in the first round of NFL drafts. That's something even rarer to see um, in the top 5 to 10 that he's being projected what what do you make of this for Smith? And 
is his just complete dominance at Bama last year, winning the Heisman Trophy enough to make you feel incredibly comfortable taking him in the top 15 picks? So let me put it to you this way. I think that he's going to be one of the top uh, three or four receivers drafted and uh, probably one of the top two receivers drafted. So that means, and, and, and you know, you, t- you touched on it. His game is not the issue. His game's not the issue. His production's clearly not the issue. He had a monster season, won a Heisman Trophy. So the issue is that he is a very, very much an outlier in this class. And the only guy over the last 20 years that really matches up to him physically that we've seen drafted in the first two days is Paul Richardson. Uh, the receiver from Colorado. So I think we're also seeing a lot of comparisons to him to Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison was drafted over 20 years ago. So if that's your range, that's a a very wide, wide range. And and you don't have a lot of historical comparisons with him. So how comfortable do you feel? I'll put it to you this way. I, I would rank Devontae Smith as one of my top five wide receivers. And he is probably my wide receiver five in this class. But if I'm drafting in that top 10, top 5, top 10 range, Jamar Chase is off the board, but my team needs a receiver, I'm probably going to trade back or try and trade back with another team that really, really want, loves Smith and knowing that I can get one of my other top 5 receivers uh, later on in the first round. I know it's a hedge, and we usually make fun of stuff like that. And feel free to make fun of me about that, but that's how I feel about it. I, I just don't want to... I just don't want to be the guy, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of a general manager or a coaching staff, a personnel guy, I don't want to be the one that's risking my job making a top five or top ten pick on a major outlier. And so I think, you know, Smith is going to go high. I just don't know if I would be the one that that pulls the trigger on it unless he falls unexpectedly on draft day and he's there late in the first round. But I don't see that happening. And you look at it, you, I mean, late in the first round, this is not, but, uh, you know, pro football focus is um, Mike Rin, Rinner, Mike Rinner, I don't know, one of those names. Um, we just call he him, just, uh, he was the bachelor, Bachelorette contestant. Oh, okay. I, I don't know who that is either. But <laughs> he, uh, he just dropped a new three-round mock draft on that Monday, and he had Smith going 13. So, you know, that's that's a little further down than what we've talked about. I mean, yeah, that's about as late as I've seen him in the, in the big draft mocks. And so if he's falling out of the top 10, I think it makes it a little easier all of a sudden. I mean, you probably, the, the Cowboys probably are not taking him. The giants are likely not taking him after just signing Kenny Galladay. Um, and, so that brings him to you know the 49ers. I don't know if he fits what they've done. He would be kind of an interesting chess piece there because they've got Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk who are much more physical receivers. Um, and so he'd be the guy that would require you to really uh, decide how you want to cover him. Um, but then, you know, you're at the Chargers, the Vikings, the the Patriots, and, and 
the Cardinals and Raiders. I think all of those teams uh, could could potentially use a Smith. But you know, to your point, like you look at if he falls to fifteen to New England, and and we talk about outliers, and that's what Smith is in terms of just drafting him in the first round. Can New England, who is notoriously bad at drafting wide receivers in the first round, afford to take another outlier? I mean, obviously, Bill Belichick isn't in any um, type of... He, he Belichick's not going anywhere. Like, he has... He can basically do whatever he wants. However, would that be the best fit for the team and... Uh, for what their needs are. That's that's how I would look at a guy like Smith. Not necessarily at looking at him as not being, you know, as Justin said, good enough because he's he's more than good enough on the field. The question is, can you afford to take an outlier at a at a premium pick? Um, you know, it's just it's an interesting fit and an interesting way to look at it because I don't think we. We talk about it enough because I think people are afraid to have that conversation of is it okay to take an outlier to everything we've seen really in, in the NFL um, and the NFL draft. Like Justin said, the, the most recent guy that fits his physical profile that's been drafted on day one or two is, is Paul Richardson. And Richardson wasn't an injury-prone guy at, at Colorado, um, and, and this isn't to say that this isn't to say that uh, you know Smith would be injury-prone, but Richardson struggled once he got to the NFL to stay healthy and stay on the field. And I think that's what people are concerned about with Smith. It's not that he doesn't look good when he's. Um beating these college corners some of them are, are going to go on to be pros and early draftees themselves other ones are not so much but they are concerned i think that will his body hold up to the rigors of nfl uh the nfl season and also to getting hit by nfl defenders so another guy that we can talk about that we don't have to project if he might get hurt is uh virginia tech corner Caleb Farley, I believe his pro day was set to take place later this week, but uh, Caleb Farley, we found out today, is undergoing a procedure called a microdiscectomy, which is a back surgery to relieve some issues with herniated disc that he's had, and apparently not the first time that he's been treated for this back issue. So Farley's going to be on the shelf for a little while while he recovers from this back surgery, I think it's safe to say he's got a bad back. And we know that, uh, as our friend Justice Mosqueda has said before, nobody used to have a bad back. So this is a concern, I think, much more, a much more profound concern if you're drafting in the first round than whatever we think of Devontae Smith's weight. This is a player, Farley, who's very gifted athlete, speedster, big corner, ball hawk, but now he's got a... a a uh, documented bad back. Uh, do we expect a draft day fall now for Caleb Farley? Yeah, and it's going to be interesting because, as we've talked about, the medicals are something that we never have had access to. Um, 
you know, we've we've talked about the the paper mache knees of of certain players. We've talked about concerns with heart conditions with certain players. You know, all of that stuff is documented and well known within the NFL. Um, we just get these reports. That's kind of all we get to on these ones. And so, when you have something this and, and when we say serious, we're not talking about life or career threatening. What we're talking about is serious in the terms of could this be something that plagues them and lingers throughout their career or inevitably causes them to miss large swaths of games. For Farley, that's a question that nobody really had until now. And so when you look at it with with Farley, he still plays a premium position. Um, you know, he, again, allegedly tested out of this world. So I don't think there's any questions on who he is as an athlete or physically, but there are potential questions on whether or not he can again, hold up to the the rigors of a soon-to-be 17-game NFL regular season. And that's a hard thing. Again, when you look at a player like Patrick Sertain, who is not the physical um, specimen that Farley is, but he is a guy that's been available during his time at Alabama and played extremely well while at Alabama. A guy like J.C. Horn, who, again, hasn't had, you know, physical issues, who played well in the SEC at South Carolina. Or even, I mean, a guy like Greg Newsom, um, who tested incredibly well, played really well, but it was at Northwestern, so you kind of, you know, you, so you have to find his games where he's going up against Ohio State and, you know, guys that are going to play on Sundays, which is a, a little bit tougher in the Big Ten. You know, would you rather have those guys or would you rather take a chance on a Farley with a potential bad back? Like you said, there's no used to have a bad back. I think with Farley, he's going to be the type of player that a, a, an established team, one of the better teams, one of the playoff teams that's drafting late in the first round, or maybe even if it's if it becomes a real concern and he falls even farther maybe into the second round, that's when you're looking at, play, at teams that are established and can afford to take a risk on a player. And I want to say, like, the back injury is not a death knell on Caleb Farley's career because, um, and, and I, I don't mean to pick out just one anecdotal example, but the, the biggest one that we'll all remember is Rob Gronkowski came into the league with a bad back that caused him to miss time his final season in college. And then he ends up falling to the second round because of those concerns, but he ends up obviously having a Hall of Fame career. Caleb Farley has that to look toward, and he's getting the procedure done so they can rehab it, and he's got plenty of time before training camp starts to get himself in shape. And as you said, 
he, he we already know he's very fast and that that's his athleticism is not going to be an issue at the next level so let's uh let's run down some of the last week's pro days we don't want to spend too much time recapping pro days all the time but there were some some noteworthy guys that that tested and some noteworthy testing results that we saw that that were kind of caused us to raise an eyebrow Yeah, you look at the Pro Days numbers that have kind of come out over the last week, and and you look at these, you know, these testing numbers, and and we, you know, we were concerned when they were at Exos, and um, what was the other one, the Hall of, the House of Athlete, House of Athletes, but. You know, the team ones are now coming out and you're seeing numbers that aren't they're more honest. World. They're more yeah. honest. <laughs> and and you know, for instance, today we've got uh the Mizzou workout numbers and uh guy that was getting some first round buzz, Nick Bolton, tested out and um I think a guy that you've talked about before Kent Lee Platt is that is that the that's uh, at Math Bomb on Twitter. Yeah. He does what they call he does a composite score called a relative athletic score, the RAS. So a lot of people follow Kent for that. It's sort of like a spark type of thing. And and he brought out the the numbers for Nick Bolton, and they were you know not great at all. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's, you know, the first one we want to talk about Bolton was getting top 25 talk. Now, a pro day, not from us, no, no, but a pro day should never be a death nail, but at the end of the day, it, it is something to look at when you look at talking about inside linebackers in the top 50 picks, really. Right. I I think a couple of weeks ago I called, I said I was getting Paul Dawson vibes. Like draft nicks and Twitter were overrating this small 230-ish pound inside linebacker prospect. And what we got from Bolton today, it wasn't Paul Dawson. It wasn't, you know, Paul Dawson was, was I think, hurt. A little bit. He was a little bit gimpy, so he was he ran slower than Nick Bolton did today. But aside from a pretty decent forty time, you didn't see a lot. Seth described him to me earlier today as straight lineish, which is just exactly how he looks and how he tested out. You watch a lot of Nick Bolton, and you see he can fly through and make a tackle in the backfield when there's no block, no one blocking him. He can chase down guys. You see a lot of tackles from him seven yards downfield, but where I landed more, he he's not Paul Dawson, but he's more like Kenny Young, who played for uh, he was drafted by the Ravens, but he was a fourth round pick. So you're not taking a guy like Nick Bolton in the first round. I think today was that the eye opener that people needed to convince them that they should not be mocking uh, Bolton in the first round anymore. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. That's one of the things Justin and I enjoy about the draft prospect is is how these guys the 
you know, and by these guys, we mean kind of the big draft uh, guys discuss um, or change their opinions on things as, as they get more information, because it's, I don't want to say that it should have been obvious that Bolton wasn't a fluid athlete, but it should, it shouldn't have be a surprise that he didn't test extremely well. Um, one name that hasn't got a lot of talk and that's, you know, partially because he opted out and now, you know, he had a really strong pro day, uh, at Stanford was Paulson Adebo. I remember this name two years ago being talked about as a guy to watch for this draft itself because of his athleticism. So again, when he tested as well as he did, we shouldn't look at that as a surprise, but more as what we were seeing ahead of time. Right. Right. Paulson Adebo, he did not disappoint. Uh, we knew going in that he was going to be one of the uh, better scoring athletes from, from this cornerback class. And really that's exactly what he showed us at his pro day. Now, he was one of those guys who say out of sight, out of mind, because he didn't play this year. So people forget what kind of numbers he was putting up. But he averaged over one pass breakup per game last season, the last season he played, which was 2019. And I thought pretty remarkable for his career, which was only two seasons. But during those two seasons, he had 1.3 pass breakups per game. And a total, uh, and when you throw in the interceptions, he was getting his hand on the ball a total of 1.7 times between pass breakups and interceptions per game. Now we know he's, it's proven that he's very fast. He's a very athletic guy. I think we'll start seeing Paulson Adebo get more buzz because uh, this time last year, 20, or this time, you know, going into the 2019 season, I think a lot of people were putting him in those way too early mock drafts, and then his name just kind of disappeared. Well, we started including some of the other corners we just talked about in the last in the last uh, section of the show. One of the guys that stood out um, was, and I'm I'm going to skip the uh, wide receiver. I'm going to let you say his name but uh, <laughs> milton williams a small school guy uh had a had a huge pro day um numbers that we haven't seen outside of maybe the best defense player in football and and aaron donald i mean if you if you just go by athletic comp uh, comparisons that's who he he'll compare to and we'll talk more about that on uh the patron on the patreon show later in the week but Milton Williams was so freaky that if you plug in the numbers from his pro day, you come up with an Aaron Donald type of athlete. You're not going to see an Aaron Donald when you turn on uh, Louisiana Tech. But we do hear now that after this workout, he's getting serious second round, definitely day two buzz. The other freak show of the week last week was uh, Illinois receiver Josh Imatorbebe. And I talked about him we 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 mentioned his name we name dropped him last week with ryan uh imitor bebe was a five-star recruit he was a originally went to usc he had some injury issues he transferred he goes to illinois plays his final two seasons there 
he had a 46 and a half inch vertical. The guy can he he can levitate. I mean, if you've seen him jump, he really does look like he's levitating at the top of his jump. He's um, a big guy too, six one, close to two twenty. So that's a a player that's going to be available in the late rounds, and he's such a a dynamic athlete. That's a guy you definitely want to take a chance on and hope that you can get more out of him than Illinois got because they just didn't have a great quarterback situation there. The other guy I wanted to talk about that was a complete freak was Anthony Schwartz because we knew he was an Olympic caliber sprinter. And it's almost crazy to think that people might have been a little disappointed with a 427 official 40 time. But he's our fastest, I believe he's going to be our fastest receiver this year. And that he's going to draw a Will Fuller comparison at least from a metric standpoint. When you look at the class of safeties, it was a little disappointing to see some of these numbers that came out. Um, Paris Ford, uh, Richard LeConte, and Ardarius Washington all, again, when we talk about disappointing, we're not saying that they're going to be bad or anything of that nature. It's just they tested below what tends to be the um, athletic thresholds that you look for in at the position. Um, did any of those n- numbers surprise you, and who who was it the most? I I didn't really have a feel for um, how these guys were all going to test too much. Um, as far as their their 40 times. So I guess I was a little surprised by all of them because the way they were being talked about on social media for the past year, Paris Ford was a guy who received some early season hype, and then he he just really bombed. He had a ran over a 4.840. You're not going to see many NFL safeties playing at 4.8. LeCount from uh, Georgia, he ran over a 4.7. And you do see guys that make it, like Tony Jefferson, for example. Uh, but they're not going to be drafted early and, and in many cases not drafted at all, and they're going to have to catch on. Um, our Darius Washington, he ran a 4-6, 4-6-1, which is better than the other guys, but he's so small that teams were trying to uh, – that a lot of rankers and teams are looking at him as a nickel corner. You really want more – speed if you're going to have a corner um if you want to play him as like a as like he's a hard hitting safety which is crazy because he's a little guy and then you see how little guys that are big hitters sometimes take a beating and wind up injured themselves so it's going to be tricky to see where these guys fall i think washington's going to be the first one of the three drafted and probably i would guess third round ish um the other two guys, I would, I would suspect, will either go. I think Ford will probably go undrafted after this, unfortunately, and LeCount will probably go in the late rounds, if not undrafted himself. Yeah, and you mentioned Tony Jefferson. I mean, Jefferson's one of those guys that, again, is an outlier, and an outlier that was undrafted. I mean, he he made it in the NFL, and so it's not a big deal to go undrafted. Um, it's just. Again, do you take 
how much credence do you put into a guy that is a you know four seven plus guy at the safety position as the NFL goes towards more of spread offenses and, and spreading the ball around and throwing to athletes in space? That's that's the question you have to ask and answer yourself. Um, you know, I, you know, Robert and I both watched Jefferson. He more than I. You know, he was a o, OU fan, so he saw him even more there. I don't think we were surprised by Jefferson's success at all, um, but it again, you're talking about an undrafted free agent. You you're taking a chance on a guy outside of the draft and not using one of your assets to pick him up. Exactly. Exactly. And real quick, Jarrett Patterson running back from Buffalo is another guy we wanted to mention tonight. Ran a four, five, nine 40. We're going to talk more about Patterson on the Thursday show, but I wanted to get that time out there because it seemed, it seemed Patterson himself was pleased with the time, but uh, for a guy that size, that's actually not going to be a, a great, that's not really going to be a, a great thing for him going forward. I, I think he's probably going to go end up going later in the draft as well, if not undrafted. Which we know uh, James Robinson parlayed that into a huge rookie season, even though he went undrafted and ran over a 4-6. So, um, but we'll see what happens with Patterson. Let's talk, Seth, about some of these prospect team fits. We are, are it's almost a hundred percent guaranteed at this point that Trevor Lawrence is going to Jacksonville. Urban Meyer's never coached, he's never been a head coach in the NFL, but he does have some experience on the offensive staff. He's got Daryl Bevel, uh, the offensive coordinator. I think he got an endorsement for that job from Brett Favre, and then he's also brought on uh, Urban, also brought on Brian Schottenheimer, who takes a lot of grief from football Twitter and football media, but uh, was the offensive coordinator last year with Seattle. He's had a number of jobs. I think Seattle set a team record for points scored last year. So with all the, for all their flaws, for all the problems with that people have with Schottenheimer's play calling, they did score a ton of points last year. So what do you think about Lawrence's fit with this group? It seems kind of of an odd uh, round table of coaches, you know, because you know Meyer likes to in college. He likes to run his quarterback. His his quarterback running is a huge part of his offense. What what do you foresee with Lawrence in Jacksonville coming up? When you look at Lawrence's fit, he's kind of I don't want to say scheme proof because that's that's you know an easy way to describe any top prospect. But when you look at him. I think Urban is, if he's, I mean, he's not going to bring every feature of his Ohio State, you know, Florida offense, but he will bring some. And, and those features that fit with what Lawrence does well, he is an accurate passer, especially in that short and mid range. He does have a great arm to push the ball down the field. Um, you know, when you, when you watch him play, he moves better than you expect for a guy of his kind of length. Um, because he, I mean, he is tall, obviously, but he's he's lanky and kind of lean. 
you don't expect him to be as smooth as he is with his footwork. And I think that's one of the things that Urban will be able to do so well. I mean, at the end of the day, if Urban didn't think he could build around Trevor Lawrence, and yeah, I know how much money he's getting paid, but do you think he really would have come out of retirement for this opportunity um, or that he'd stake his claim to Trevor Lawrence when he has the ability to take whoever he wants there? They, uh, Urban would still be on big noon kickoff if, if uh, Trevor Lawrence wasn't in this draft and wasn't going to be the quarterback of the future for his team. So I still think it's wild that he took the job. I never thought it would happen. I thought he'd end up being you know the athletic director at Ohio State down the road and that still might happen but he's he's gonna try his uh shot at the nfl and he's gonna try with trevor lawrence behind these offensive coaches uh we talked about Devontae smith we know that it seems like the nfl's wide receivers one and one a and one b or one and two are jamar chase from lsu and smith and we've got two wide receiver needy teams in that top five we've got miami and we got Cincinnati, and Cincinnati hasn't gone out and signed a free agent receiver like some of their fans would have liked to see. So it seems like there's a decent chance that even though Panay Sewell has been mocked to them in almost every single mock draft for the last you know year, that um, they they might be in the market for taking either Chase or Smith at number three overall. So I want to talk about the fit with those teams. I think either of those two players would be good fits for either of those two teams. Because what you have there, you have quarterbacks in Tua and in uh, Joe Burrow, who didn't look particularly good throwing downfield, throwing the deep ball last year. And with Chase and Smith, the way they play the game, these are guys that are yard-after-the-catch monsters, and they just can take that short-to-intermediate throw and, and turn it into a big game. Into a big gain, I'm sorry. So I like the fit of either one of these players. It's Miami who gets the first shot. I'd be surprised if they would take Smith over Chase. So that will leave Cincy with the decision. Do we take the offensive lineman who might be a cornerstone and help protect Burrow, which would solve a huge problem, or do they go and, and try and take that outlier receiver in Smith, who I do think would be a good fit with Joe Burrow? You look at the names of, of Chase and Smith, and they've kind of been intertwined in terms of draft position um, and, and where they go. It'll be interesting because I feel like when you look at the teams and the fits, I feel like almost the other guy fits more of what that team needs for instance when you look at the dolphins they've got you know they've got preston williams and they've got Devonte parker i feel like they need kind of the and, and i'm not saying he's a possession guy but i in jamar chase i think they need that that bigger guy that can work all over the field because it feels like parker and williams are more of that kind of deep threat um, with what the Dolphins do with them. Right. Those guys are sideline guys for the most part, it seems like. And Chase gives you that gives Miami that middle-of-the-field guy that they've been lacking since Jarvis Landry. And, and Chase is 
a better version of that type of receiver. And, and then you look at Cincy, and their best receiver is you know Tyler Boyd, and he is again on that same spectrum of you know a, a middle of the field type of guy, and so you can get Smith as the kind of sideline boundary receiver that's that's looking to take um the intermediate and deep stuff and and opening things up for boyd underneath it it makes sense for me in terms of fit it that's how i would look at it i know people look at the tua smith and, and chase burrow you know connections and i i do understand that but with i i think smith boyd and T Higgins for the for the Bengals and then you go with uh Chase Williams and Parker for the Dolphins. I think those guys in terms of fit just match up just a little bit better. Yeah, I mean you got he, they have Higgins, he can be their ex and they got uh they could put Smith in as he'd stick thin for the role but he could fit in the role of the flanker with with Boyd taking those slot duties, and you have a pretty good uh, threesome there as far as receivers are concerned. We wanted to talk about Kyle Pitts. We're seeing him mocked a lot to the Philadelphia Eagles, and I think that's one of the toughest ones to peg as far as the fit goes because we seemingly I I know so little about their new head coach, but I do know that their offensive coordinator, who is. Uh, Named Shane Steichen, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. He was in, he was with the LA Chargers last year, and they did have Hunter Henry there getting 93 targets, and he missed a couple of games with injuries. So they they use a tight end. The Eagles are trying to, to trade Zach Ertz. We don't know what's going to happen with that situation. They still have Dallas Goddard and uh, or Dallas Goddard, and he was banged up. He was definitely banged up last year. They don't seem to want to hang their hats on him as the, the main mainstay at tight end. I don't feel like tight end is a, is a great need here for, for Philly and picking a tight end in the top 10 is very, is very rarely done, but you also have a situation where we've talked about, and we've heard that the Eagles owner, Jeffrey Lurie has kind of put a mandate forward that he wants this year's coaching staff to build around and give Jalen hurts a shot to be the starter, to be the guy in Philly. So this, the, the way I look at it is they've got an offensive coordinator who knows how he wants to keep a tight end involved in the game, and I view that as a guy who can help Jalen Hurts along. What do you think about that? Yeah, and I think, you know, even though it is a new coaching staff, the NFL and a lot of these guys love to use that two tight end sets and really – kind of control the middle of the field um, matchups. And that's something that, you know, we saw just going back to the New England Patriots of the early 2010s. And and so that would make sense. The other team that we've kind of heard rumblings about, which would be just insane with how much they've invested on the offense already, but is the Atlanta Falcons. Um and that, you know, you look back a couple years ago, they had Austin Hooper. They let him walk 
the big contract from the from the Cleveland Browns for him. You know, they have Julio, they've got Calvin Ridley. I mean, they've spent a ton of money on the offense. Um, I mean, from a fit perspective, sure. But can you continue to just load that offense up with Matt Ryan there? I mean, is that the best way to go about it? Or would it make more sense to look elsewhere? People seem totally torn whether Atlanta is going to help Matt Ryan or whether they're going to set up a situation where his he, his successor is is drafted at, at number four. We see Justin Fields and Trey Lance going number four as often as we see another offensive weapon. So I think uh, they're in a, in a difficult spot. And I think Atlanta's probably a prime tradeback candidate because they do have Matt Ryan, so they don't have to go quarterback there unless they really love one of the one of the quarterbacks. And somebody would pay a king's ransom to move up and get one of those top four quarterbacks in the draft. And I'll get back to that. As I say, top four quarterbacks, I'll get that back to that when we talk about hot takes. Um, but we, I mentioned fields, and we've got a couple of landing spots where we're hearing noise about where fields is going to end up it usually involves a trade up and that's san francisco and new england actually so uh we know that fields is training at a place called the quarterback collective and that has ties to kyle shanahan kyle shanahan's actually a coach for the quarterback collective he's familiar with fields uh shanahan's quarterback coach is also a coach for that organization so there's something there, and I think we mentioned it a couple weeks ago, it does seem like Shanahan would love to be able to move up and uh, take Justin Fields. We've heard him connected to some other quarterbacks, but Fields would be such a dynamic player in the Shanahan offense and really open things up. For New England, they would also have to trade up, but that was something Daniel Jeremiah said last week, that the, pa- the Patriots are very high on Fields. They re-signed Cam Newton to a one-year deal, so we know he's. They don't view him as the long-term answer, and but we also know that they kind of Josh McDaniels is a guy who's shifted his offense around from when he had Tom Brady to when he had Cam Newton. We saw a lot of red zone quarterback runs and things like that. So I think I would love to see Fields wind up with either one of these teams because I think that would set him up for the best success he could have as opposed to landing at number two uh, with the Jets, for example, who also have a coach who's got a connection to that quarterback collective where Fields is training. So that's something to keep in your back pocket. Fields in San Francisco feels like it would be just the the most ideal fit for him as a pro, you know, maybe outside outside of Urban Meyer. And I know he didn't really play under Urban, but... Let's, you know, Urban was still a big influence there. Urban, yeah, um, Urban's fingerprints are all over Ohio State's, uh, you know, coaching staff and or, the whole organization. Like he, he stayed involved and uh, connected to those guys. So I think, yeah, and you know, if he might have come into coaching, I talked about maybe only Trevor Lawrence could have pulled him out of the broadcast booth and into coaching, but maybe Fields could have done that too. And so. You know, you look at it, I think Fields, under Shanahan's tutelage, 
you know, another year of Garoppolo, maybe not what the 49ers fans want to hear, but, you know, learning a year and then kind of taking over the reins would be, I mean, I think it would be a nightmare for the NFC West, especially with the weapons that they're getting in place with George Kittle, um, with with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. I mean, that's a team that's got some, you know, some pieces in place and then, you know, bringing back Trent Williams and they already have a fantastic running game and Fields would just, you know, build on that with his with his athleticism, you know, in the boot game and things of that nature. I think it would be a, a, a dynamic fit. So I hope it doesn't happen. Um, but <laughs> well, then you hope he does end up in New England. Yeah, exactly. So as long as he doesn't end up with Pittsburgh, I'll be good. <laughs> we got a lot of uh, pro days coming up this week. Um, there's a few primetime ones um, tomorrow night, which will be Tuesday. That should be uh, you'll get this podcast earlier in the day. But Tuesday night, we've got Alabama. We already told you that uh, Devonte Smith's not going to work out, but we got Mac Jones throwing. We hopefully maybe we'll see a Jalen Waddle forty. We don't know how that ankle is. We'll find out tomorrow. On the 23rd, tomorrow also, we've got Purdue and Rondale Moore. And probably by the time this show comes out tomorrow, we'll, Moore will have already worked out. So uh, I expect a really, really fast 40 time and great workout from him as far as testing numbers. We we and, had uh, our buddy Kyle Posey interviewed Rondell Moore and had a great – had a great um, – quote that Moore said he'd be disappointed if he ran a four three so <laughs> well he did run like a he ran a four three four at at the opening four, in high school yeah four three three four three three I mean this guy he's so he's so quick I, I love Rondell Moore as a prospect even though we don't have a lot of tape on him uh, going downfield to catch deep balls I think he can do it it's a similar situation to uh a guy like Paris Campbell a couple of years ago who we knew he could fly, but people worried about his deep throws and his deep receiving ability, and you had to dig kind of deep to find clips of that. Uh, USC is in primetime on Wednesday night. Do you know why? I, I, Amon Ross St. Brown are going to be working out, is going to be working out, and uh, Talanoa Hufanga, the safety, the kind of the guy who says he's been studying under Troy Palomalu, but why is that a primetime? Because Elijah Vera Tucker, the dynamic guard tackle prospect. There you go. There everybody, you go. everybody loves the offensive lineman. He's um, being mocked in the top fifteen pretty regularly at this point. Yeah. Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Um, That's on Thursday. Penn State, and is that North Texas? Yeah, North Texas, because receiver Jalen Darden, who led the nation in touchdowns briefly until Devontae Smith hit the playoffs. Um, Darden had 19 touchdowns for UNT this year, and he's a, a very dynamic receiver. I think he's a little on the uh, – I think he's – well, he just turned 22, I think, so he's not on the old side at all. But he's a small guy. He's a small guy, and I'm very interested to see how fast he runs. With Ole Miss, we've got Elijah Moore, another smaller receiver prospect. Kenny Yaboa is a, a tight end that's a, supposed to be a, a great athlete himself. Penn State, we've got Jason Owe and Micah Parsons, who are usually find them their ways into the first round. 
And OA supposedly runs a 4.38 at like 250 pounds or 255 pounds, right? Yeah, he's supposed to be um, a straight-up freak. I mean, we're talking in the in the Miles Garrett type of realm of freaky athleticism. I can't believe 4.38 till I see it, so hopefully... Uh, we'll find out on on but, Thursday. I mean, hopefully, if he's a, I mean, at two fifty whatever, if he's a a sub four five guy, that's yeah, insane. It's phenomenal. Parsons is supposed to run a four four as well. I mean, he's he's another freaky athlete. And Penn State is one of those programs that keeps churning out these combine, uh, these these combine warriors every year yeah. that just yeah, keep I, I mean, they're breaking I'm, the scales and stuff. Yeah, just ju- they juice them up. Read into that what you will. So. I don't know about, no comment from me. Uh, B- BYU is uh, Friday night. BYU fr- primetime Friday night on ESPN. I presume we're going to get Zach Wilson's throwing workout because otherwise why would BYU be on at 8 p.m. on a Friday? That's Eastern time, by the way. That's because there's not much else to do out in this this part of the country. Um, so our Mormon friends can sit back, have a have a Diet Coke, and, and watch their boy Zach Wilson fling the ball around one more time. Yeah, and, and uh, the tourney games won't be on until Saturday. So that's a good window for everybody who wants to see. A, a, and I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that Zach Wilson will have a great throwing pro day. Every top <laughs> quarterback always does. Um, we're also going to see Michigan that day, Quiddy Pay. Some people's top defensive end. We'll talk more about that on the Patreon show later this week on Thursday. But Quiddy Pay is also going to presumably work out. And Michigan's got a couple other players that might be of interest. That'll be earlier in the day before the Zach Wilson show on Friday night. Let's uh, finish up this episode with a little take on the uh, hot takes. So We're back on the original draft breakdown podcast, talking uh, hot takes. What do you got, Justin? Hot take. My hot take this week comes from at Spoonful of Sport, and that is Chris Spooner on Twitter. We saw the Stanford Pro Day last week, and and uh, they have a quarterback named Davis Mills. And Davis Mills, they were on TV. I think at 3 p.m. Eastern last week, and Davis Mills' throwing workout was televised, and he got a lot of hype off that workout. People were talking about him quite a bit, and the big draft guys were saying, you know, he basically cemented his way into the second round. But uh, Chris Spooner, he's retweeting Matt Miller, who who had tweeted, "Have heard some chatter that Mills might end up QB six in this draft." His arm is muy impressive. And Spooner quote tweeted him and he said, Honestly, I wouldn't hate it if people had him quarterback five. But he left some mystery around that, Seth, because we've talked about the top five quarterbacks as as Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. And most of most of the talk. I mean, in some order, that seems to be the consensus top five. So where would uh, Mills fit into that? Who's he bumping? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an interesting take because, as you said, where do you move those guys? Like, who are you taking out? If you're taking out Mac Jones, I mean, 
I don't agree. But at the same time, you look at it, maybe Mills has more upside. I don't I mean, I, I don't know if I would agree with that, but I, I guess I could get behind it in terms of, I could understand it, I guess is the best way to explain it. I'm going to go ahead and say that it, it won't happen, but uh, <laughs> I've been wrong before. So maybe we could see some team really fall in love with Davis Mills, but I think he's probably going on day two, second or third round. Uh, that's all we got this week for the show. Join us again later this week for the Patreon show. Again, it's only $2 to sign up to get that bonus episode each week. That's two, two bucks a month, not two bucks a week. So you'll get all of our weekly bonus episodes for two bucks. For four bucks, you'll get articles and other bonus uh, content that we'll do throughout the draft season. We're gonna try and come up with some of some new ideas now that Seth's back from the baseball tournament. By the way, how did uh, the baseball tournament go, Seth? Not well. Okay, Not well we'll leave it at, at that. We'll <laughs> leave it at that. So again, join us Thursday for the Patreon show. What we're gonna talk about this year is or this week, is the defensive line class. Is there a top defensive lineman? What about the edge class? How strong are these pass rushers and where they stack up? And we're going to do something that I think is very fun to do each year now that we're getting these numbers, and we're going to talk about uh, workout and metric comparisons and where what this year's draft class, where they match up most closely with players from past years. And you're going to be surprised at some of the results. Some of them are going to be seem like otherworldly and other ones might seem a little disappointing so check us out on thursday for that again two bucks a month we'll get you those bonus episodes so uh, thanks again everyone thanks for tolerating me in the host chair for a week and seth thanks for coming back and we'll be back uh later this week thanks guys What do you guys think for the outro for now? Um, I mean, I don't know yet. We pro- we might be able to record something. We can for now we could do um